Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today we're continuing in the book of Romans. We've got a few more weeks here. Uh, as we just go chapter by chapter through the book of Romans together. And last week, Pastor Colin, our Blairsville campus pastor, did a great job walking through Romans chapter 12, which is one of my favorite books, uh, chapters of the Bible. Uh, and he did a great job outlining and walking through that with us. And, and if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, and, and so I missed the fact that I got to preach that one because it's one of my favorites. But he did a great job with it. But basically, here's what's going on in the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul... He plants churches all over. Uh, he writes letters to them later to encourage them. And this is generally his, his practice. But in this case, he's writing a letter to the Roman church, which is one of the oldest churches in Christendom. Uh, and he's writing a letter to them because they're deeply divided. They're a church that are divided over some different things, ethnic lines, worship lines. We do it this way, not this way, whatever it might be. And he understands that a divided church is a useless church. So he writes them a letter to bring unity to them. And he unites them predominantly over this one idea that we are all sinners in need of a savior. That no matter who you are, no matter what your ethnicity is, no matter what your background is, no matter what your uh, gender is, no matter what your, eth- uh, your race, your age, none of that matters. We are all sinners in need of a savior. This is what unites us. So we see this dominant theme throughout the book of Romans that, um, that God judges sin but manifests mercy through Jesus. That God is righteous and holy, so he has to judge sin. But he's also merciful, so he extends mercy through Jesus Christ, his son. So Paul writes this letter, and it's laid out in several chapters and sections. Chapters 1 through 3 really talk about the righteousness of God. And when we talk about the righteousness of God, we talk about this idea that God always does what is right, and he is faithful to keep his promises. So God is righteous, And because God is righteous, he creates in believers a new way of living. And this new way of living fulfills its promise, God's promise for the nation of Israel, for Jewish people. But then what we see in chapters 12 through 16 as he wraps this up is that that this promise that he fulfills through Israel, uh, he also uses this to unify the church. That God still has a plan for the people of Israel, but he has a, a plan to unite the church and use us for his glory under this banner that hey, we're all sinners in need of a savior. So last weekend, uh, as I said, Colin spoke and preached through chapter 12. And, and I love chapter 12. It starts with this idea in Romans 12 too, um, where Paul says to the church, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he says, don't think and act and live like the world thinks, but live differently. And the way we live differently is when we submit our hearts to Christ and he transforms us the way we think. So we begin to think differently. We begin to love differently. We begin to value differently. And then as we work our way through chapter 12, he finishes with this idea that we love our enemies really, really well. That we treat our enemies uh, well, that we bless them, that we honor them, that we provide for them which is countercultural, right? This doesn't make sense at all. Um, but this is where Paul leaves off for us. And this is where we'll pick up in Romans 13, one. So he says this, he says, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. I want everybody here in Indiana and in Blairsville, I want you to say this with me. Everyone must submit. He doesn't equivocate this. He says, everyone. He doesn't say, some of you should submit if you feel like it. He says, everyone must submit. Must submit to godly authority. No, he says, governing authorities. This is hard. This is very direct. And he's talking to the church. He's saying, hey, church people. Don't forget what he said before. Love the people who don't love you. Love the people who mistreat you. And he says, As a follow-up, everyone must submit to governing authorities. Everyone. 
must submit. The word here for submit that we'll see again here in a moment is a Greek word, it's hupotasso. And hupotasso means to arrange under or subordinate. And in this context, it's a military term. And this military term refers to the way um, a, a column of soldiers would fall into formation together. So, so there's an order for us to fall into. And I don't know if you know this or not, there are soldiers who don't always agree with their commanding officers. Did you know that? But they don't get an option. They don't get a choice. They don't get to go, you know what? I don't think so. I'm not, I'm not gonna fall out today. You know what? I'm, I am not getting out of my bunk. I don't feel like it. You know, even with the time change, I'm still kind of tired. So you know what? You guys go on without me. I'll catch up. Do you know that's not an option for a soldier in a well-run military? If they don't fall in, they're gonna get into trouble. So what do they have to do? They have to arrange under and subordinate. This is the military term. It also means to subject oneself to obey. So basically, even if we don't want to, we subject ourselves to authority. We go, okay, I'm gonna obey even though I disagree. And let me make this clear. Paul doesn't say agree with every earthly authority, governing authority, adopt their beliefs, adopt their ideology. That's not what he's saying at all. But he does say that we have to submit. So we subject ourselves to people that we might not agree with. And then finally, it means to yield to one's admonition or advice. So this can be even with a peer, just someone who's not in authority over you, but as you come alongside them and you're talking, you go, man, I don't know what to do about it. And they go, you know what I would do? I would do this. And if you apply what they are saying, you are submitting to them. You are trusting their authority in this situation. And this word is also used in Ephesians chapter five, um, four and five, when Paul talks to the church about being in mutual submission to each other. And then he also talks in, in Ephesians five about wives submit to your husbands, uh, which is a very popular passage with women, I know. Um, and so he says, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, right? Um, husbands love your wife sacrificially. We're not gonna leave that part out, just as Christ loved the church. But what he's talking about is this idea of mutual submission to each other. That, that, hey, wives, you have to honor your husband. You have to be willing to subject yourself to him. But there's this idea of mutual submission where husbands submit to their wives in many areas as well. That it's not just my way or the highway. That's not how a godly house is run. But this idea of submission is so, so very important. Because the reality is we do a terrible job at submission. We are bad at submitting to authority. Every authority is, a, is an enemy in the world we live in today. Um, some of you are teachers and school administrators, so you'll get this. Um, when I was a kid, if I came home from school and told my parents that my teacher was being mean, my parents were likely to punish me for something they didn't even know about at school because they believed my teacher so much. Like you probably deserved it. If you did something for your teacher to be mean, I'm gonna punish you again. Like that's kind of the idea that my parents had. That is very different than the world we live in today. If you, if you don't believe me, ask some teachers because I talk to teachers and they're like, parents, whoo. Because a kid will get upset, go to the parent and the parent's like, what did you do to my child? Who do you think you are? This happens often. School administrators, why? Well, because there's no respect of authority. There, there's no submission. There's no trust. Um, there are some medical professionals in the room. <laughs> I've heard this story too. Somebody will come to the office and they will say, here's what I've got. And the doctor will say, well, I don't know. Well, I read on WebMD, this is what I've got. And the doctor's too nice to say this, but I'll say this for the, for the doctors and nurses in the room. They went to school for this. You have an internet connection, <laughs> right? Maybe it's a good idea to submit to the authority and go, okay, I'm gonna trust you in this situation. Does it mean the authority's always gonna be right? No, not at all. We have trouble submitting to political authority. We have trouble submitting, oh, this is gonna sound self-serving, to spiritual authority. I've had people leave our church because um, a preacher online told them that if they weren't in a certain kind of church, they should leave. And they did. They weren't sub submitted to my authority. They were submitted to somebody else's authority. 
somebody that they liked better. That's great. That's okay. I'm all right with that. But what I'm saying is we stink at submitting to authority. And when, as we submit to earthly authority, it reflects how we submit to God's authority. And Paul understands this. And this is why this, this topic is so important. And he doesn't just talk about it here in the book of Romans either. He talks about it in, in the book of Titus. So Paul writes to this guy named Titus. Titus is a protege of the apostle Paul. Uh, he's a young minister. And he is dispatching Titus to go fix the church on this island called Crete. And uh, the island of Crete is interesting because on the island of Crete, there's a specific culture unique to that island at that time. And this is literally, have you ever heard someone called a Cretan before? This is where this comes from. Because the culture on the island of Crete was such that people mistrusted each other, people lied, they were very self-focused. And as a result, this culture had bled into the church. And part of this was the issue of their previous religion. So Zeus was their God. And if you've ever looked at Greek mythology, Zeus was not a very moral or upright person or character. Zeus was selfish. He would manipulate people. He would lie. And the people of Crete, they took this idea and they adopted it into Christianity. And their idea about who God was, was that he was manipulative and selfish he was out for, for what was good for him and that they should adopt the same kind of lifestyle. So this created all kinds of dysfunction in the church. And this is one of the places we see in scripture where Paul says, God is not a liar because he wanted them to understand our God is not like any other gods you know. He does not lie like the gods you know. So Paul sends Titus to go minister and try to help and correct this totally dysfunctional church. And it was a series of churches all over this island that he's going to minister to. And they were a mess. They're a train wreck. And so Paul is writing to Titus and he's given him, he's given him some, some pointers. He's given him some encouragement. He's telling him some things to do and not do. And, and listen to what he tucks in here in Titus chapter three, verse one and two. He says, remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and, and show true humility to everyone. They must not slander and must avoid quarreling. And he says the opposite of that is that they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Must not slander, must avoid quarreling. Oh, has anybody been on social media lately? I try not to because it takes me a couple days to get the ick off of me after I've been on social media. Like, ugh, ugh. I stick to Instagram where I just look at like Jeep parts stores and things like that. That's it. I just feel good when I do that. So, so on social media, almost exclusively, like do you remember when it was just like cat memes? Like I miss those days. <laughs> but almost exclusively, it feels like people are, posting about politics and why, and this is this, and this is, and arguments, and I'm blocking you. And, and one of the reasons we see Paul tell Titus this is that when believers live differently than the world lives, there's a differentiation. It, we look different than the world because we're not acting like the world. This is why Paul said in Romans 12 too, be transformed. Don't be conformed. Don't look like the world. Look different than the world by the renewing of your mind. And he says, yes, we do submit to the government and its officers. And he says, we don't slander and quarrel. He's, he's saying, don't fight over things that don't have eternal value. Now you go, well, wait a second, Mel. Politics is important. Yeah, it is. But most of the politics we feel so passionate about don't have eternal value. We, we pick our side and we will fight to the death. And what Paul says is, yeah, that's fine for the world, but that is not how Christians should function. Christians should not live that way. We should look different than that. We should always be ready to do what is good, is what he says. Let me move on. Some of you are like, good, he's done with the politics. I'm not. Verse two. So anybody who rebels against authority is rebelling against 
what God has instituted and they will be punished. So when we fail to submit Hupotasso to governing authority, we're actually rebelling against God. It says, for the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid. For they have the power, they have the power to punish you. They're God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. Listen to verse five. So you must submit hupotasso to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. He makes it really clear. There is no equivocation in what he says. It is our responsibility as believers to submit to governing authority in this world. There's one exception, one. And that is if governing authority tells us to do something that is contrary to the Bible. Not contrary to our convictions, contrary to the Bible. Not contrary to my preferences, contrary to the Bible. So let me give you a couple of examples. In Exodus chapter one, Exodus one uh, says this in verse 15. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives fear God, they refused to obey the king's order. They allowed the boys to live too. They decided this is not a godly authority that I need to follow this order. I'm not gonna do it. They rebelled against the authority. And what we see later is that God honored them because of their disobedience to earthly authority. So there are cases where we disobey and God is glorified because of it. God is honored because of it. We see this again in Acts chapter four. In Acts chapter four, um, just to paint the picture, Jesus had been crucified. He was resurrected. He had spent his time after the resurrection on earth and he had ascended into heaven. So he had gone. The, The followers he had commanded stayed in the upper room. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were empowered by the Spirit of God and they began to preach and they began to win. Literally thousands of people were coming to faith in Christ Jesus after this. And so this ruffled some feathers. Some people weren't very happy about that. And so they were called into the principal's office. Uh, The Jewish high council uh, had called them out because of what they were doing. And so they were pulled back privately to have a conversation. This is what they said in Acts chapter four, verse 16. What should we do with these men? We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. And I love this because most of us would have been like, yes, sir, no problem, sir. And then we would have left and been like, I'm not doing that, right? But Peter and John were like, "Uh, you ain't telling us what to do. We're gonna do whatever we wanna do because God has told us to do this. And I love their boldness. I love just the strength behind this. But these are some specific instances where they push back against ungodly authority. Now, some of you are thinking, Mel, that's where we're at today. We've got ungodly authority. And so we push back. This is where we fight, right? Let me help you. Let me give you some context. When Paul writes these words to the Roman church, when he writes the words to Titus, um, there was a Roman emperor in place. His name was Nero. And maybe if you know your history, you know who Nero is. But Nero was the most infamous of all Roman emperors. Um, he, He was notorious for his persecution of Christians. Uh, even before Rome burned, but maybe you've heard uh, a phrase, something like, uh, while Rome burned, Nero played his fiddle. And it was the idea that Rome burned, and literally Rome burned for nine days historically. And the implications were that either Nero caused it or Nero was negligent in that fire, that he did very little to stop the fire and the destruction that it spread. And so when the fire was finally stopped, 
people were angry with Nero and they began to blame him. And Nero, being the slick politician he was, said, no, 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 it wasn't me. It was those Christians. We need to get the Christians. They started it. So at that point, all persecution on Christians was amped up. Um, and this is not speculation. This is historic fact. What we see Nero do was atrocious. It was unspeakable in many ways. He did things uh, like they would take the skin of a wild animal and they would take a Christian still living and sew them up in the skin and then feed them to wild dogs. There are stories about Nero taking Christians still living and, and wrapping them up, covering them with wax and then lighting them on fire to light his gardens. Nero was not just a bad man, he was a demonic man used by Satan to persecute the church and persecute Christians. And this is the man who was in charge when Paul pins these words. When he says that we should, we should submit and be subjected to governing authorities. See, I gotta be honest with you. There are things that politicians do that I don't love, but I have not heard of any Christians being burned as streetlights. And if we think it's hard for us to submit to governing authorities, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a coach, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a, a government official, maybe it's a local official, maybe it's a federal official, and you're like, no, because they're evil. I, I wanna hit the pause button. I wanna remind you, Paul says, hey, we submit ourselves to earthly authority. And as we submit ourselves to earthly authority, we're showing God that we can submit ourselves to him. And it brings him glory whenever we can submit ourselves to earthly governing authorities. Not only was Nero responsible for the persecution of the church, Nero is actually responsible for the, the martyrdom, the death of Paul himself, and also the apostle Peter. And yet Paul wrote those words. Do you think Paul would have changed his mind if he would have found out Nero was gonna take his life? I don't. I think he would have still held fast to this conviction. He would have still said, this is important. Let me move on. Verse six. It only gets better, by the way. Are you ready? Pay your taxes too. What? Are you kidding me? What are you doing to me, Paul? It says, pay your taxes too for these same reasons. For the government workers need to be paid. They're servicing God and what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Let me back up. So when he says, talks about taxes, it's one thing for us, we understand nobody likes paying taxes. Nobody enjoys it, but it's part of life, right? But he, what he says is pay your taxes, like be faithful in that. So in this context, um, many times the Roman government would employ Jewish citizens to collect taxes locally. And so what would happen many times is they would collect taxes, but they were not honest brokers. So what they would do is they would collect a higher tax than what was actually owed, and they would skim the extra, and then they would take care of the part that was owed. So they were profiting off of their countrymen. So tax collectors were hated in Jewish culture because they were looked at as profiteers. They were looked at as selfish. Uh, they were betraying their own people. So they were not liked at all. And so this has this, a unique context for them than it does for us. Even though we don't like paying our taxes, they hated it because they felt like they were being victimized by their countrymen. And so what Paul is saying is, hey, give to everyone what you owe them, pay your taxes, government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. He says, even the people who are taking advantage of you, even the people who are robbing you, you give them respect and honor. You go, well, Mel, that doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. You bet, you're exactly right. It doesn't seem fair or right. But Paul was not interested in that moment in what was fair or right. What he was interested in, what brings glory to God? 
And he said, you know what brings glory to God is when we honor and respect those, even those we don't like, even those that have hurt us or victimized us, even those who have taken advantage of us. When we honor and respect them, there's something powerful that happens in the spiritual in our lives. And you go, well, Mel, I I just don't see how they could do that. I don't know that I can honor or respect my husband. I don't know if I could honor or respect my boss. I don't know if I could honor or respect the governor or the president or whatever it might be. Let me help you with this. Part of what we do biblically is we honor not just the individual, but we honor the office. So when we honor the office, it's not about the individual person, but it's about me positioning my heart in a way that God could be glorified. It's about saying the person who occupies that seat may be not the best person in the world. They they may be a villain for that matter, but I'm still going to honor that place because it's an authority that God has installed. Remember, God has put authority in place. And even if you look at the Bible, all throughout scripture, God is bringing Israel into subjection of the Babylonians, the Assyrians, over and over and over. Why? Because he's trying to help the Israelites learn something. He's trying to help them get a, a biblical eternal principle instilled in them. And he doesn't care if he puts bad leaders in place at times in order for his people to learn what they need to learn. It's less about that moment and that leader, and it's more about eternity in our hearts. So this is why Paul says, hey, you honor and respect those that are in authority. Because when we honor and respect those in authority, we're showing that we honor and respect God. And it is not about this individual person's behavior. It's about what's produced in me in the eternal. Let me shift gears. First Peter chapter two, Peter writes this. Verse 11, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Verse 13, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. So this is both Paul and Peter who are saying the same thing. So it must be important because these guys, there were lots they disagreed on, but they're both agreeing on this. He says, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right. Verse 15, it's God's will that uh, that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Respect the king. Wow, this is hard stuff. He says, you got to submit. You got to honor. You got to love, even when you don't want to. He says, hey, you're free to do whatever you want, but don't use your freedom to be an idiot. He says, respect everyone. Respect everyone. Everyone can receive respect, even if you disagree with them. This is one of the things that the church can learn to do well, that we're gonna respect and love people even when they aren't in alignment with our beliefs or our doctrine, our theology, that we can say, hey, you're still a human being made in the image of God. You still carry his likeness. So I'm gonna honor you because you're a human being made in the image of God. Even if your political ideology is different than mine, even if your ethnicity, even if your gender, even if you're all the things that divide us, no matter what it is, I'm still gonna honor you and respect you because you're a human made in the image of God. And it does not mean we have to be in alignment as far as what we believe. It doesn't mean we're gonna vote for the same people, but it means I'm gonna love you and I'm gonna respect you and I'm gonna treat you with honor no matter who you are. He says, respect everyone. Love the family of believers. Love the people who love God. That we're not gonna be divided over denominational lines. We're not gonna be divided over the worship styles. We're gonna choose to love because we love the same thing. We love Jesus. In the same way that, that Paul was trying to unite the church in Rome, we are being united across denominational lines, across worship style lines, because we're united by this one fact that we are all sinners in need of a savior. And that's what unites us. That's what brings us together. No matter what the name is on our sign. Love the family of believers. Fear God. This isn't like this, um, you know, scary movies. I don't like scary movies, but there's lots of, even some of the, 
some of the previews for scary movies freak me out. Is there anybody else like that? Like you see the previews, you're like, oh, I don't think so. I can't even watch that preview again. I'll have bad dreams, right? And, and there's this, this fear in scary movies of like this omni, um, ominous force moving forward. You know, it's this Jason or Freddy or whatever, and they're just coming for you and you're running away. Like this is not the kind of fear we have of God. The kind of fear we have of God is a reverent, holy fear that we know he loves us and he is for us, but we also know who we're dealing with, that he is a powerful God. He is far above us. And there should be a reverential fear in us. And it says, and respect the king. So he starts with respect everyone. And he finishes with respect the king. Because he knows it's hard to respect the king sometimes. It's easy to, to make jokes about people in authority. But he says, respect the king. So how do we do that? How do we live that way? Because it's really, really hard in the world we live in to submit to earthly authority. It's really hard to respect the king, whether it's your boss, whether it's the governor, whether it's the president, it's hard. So how do we do that? Well, let's go back to the first thing we read in chapter, uh, chapter two, verse 11. He says, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. He refers to the church. He refers to the people who are listening to this letter as temporary residents and foreigners. So we have a, a team of, of people from our church over in Greece today. And uh, they might be watching this right now. Who knows? But, uh, and if you are, I love you guys, especially my wife, Kim. I love her more than all the rest of you people. <laughs> and Abby. Abby's there too. So anyway, um, so they are, they're in Greece. But here's what I know for sure. When they landed in Greece and they got off the plane and they started walking around, there wasn't any person from Greece who was like, I bet they're from here. Zero chance. Why? Because if you've ever been to a foreign country, people can spot Americans, right? We, we walk differently. We carry ourselves differently. We're arrogant. Uh, we don't think we're arrogant, but apparently we are, <laughs> judging from what other people say about us. Um, we're loud. Um, we clearly don't speak the language. We dress differently. Everything about us says we do not belong in this culture, right? And here's the problem. Peter says, hey, I, I want to speak to you as, I want to make sure I get it right, temporary residents and foreigners. But yet what's happened for so many believers is we have gotten acclimated to the culture and the culture looks at us and they cannot identify any difference at all. They look at us and they go, well, they talk like us and walk like us and act like us. They speak like us. There's no discernible difference between someone who calls themselves a Christian and someone who doesn't. Because we've forgotten that we are temporary residents and foreigners. We do not belong here. So, so how can we live this way? We live this way by understanding that I am a citizen of the United States. And for the record, I love our country. I'm a patriot. I love our country. But, but I love God more than I love my country. See, I'm a citizen of, of heaven more higher than I'm a citizen of the United States of America. That is my top identity as a son of God rather than as a citizen of the United States of America. So I have to order my affections correctly so that I can order my values and my views correctly as well. So do I, do I want our country to do well? Absolutely I do. That's why I told you to go vote on Tuesday. Go do it, right? But I also understand we're not citizens of this world. This is not a unique problem. It's not a new problem. Jesus dealt with this. Did you know that? Over and over and over. Jesus had to address this question. People would ask him in some way or another. They would say things like, so, so when are you overthrowing the Romans? Jesus says, all this is great, but when are you going to overthrow the Romans and become king? Jesus, when are you establishing your kingdom? Hey, Jesus, when you establish your kingdom, can I sit on your right and my brother sit on your left? See, these were questions they were asking because they had the wrong idea about what Jesus was trying to do. Even toward the end of his life, they're asking this question. He's like, guys, I gotta go away. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And they're like, that's awesome. Then we're gonna be kings. Is that what's gonna happen then? And I can imagine Jesus just being like, well, oh, are you kidding me, right? I'm still dealing with this. And he said to them over and over and over in the gospels, I haven't come to establish an earthly kingdom. 
I've come to establish a kingdom that is so much bigger and so much better than any kingdom you think you need because you think your problem is the Romans are an issue. We need to overthrow the Romans. And I feel like many well-intentioned Christians in our nation have the same problem. That we think our biggest issue is the Democrats are in charge. We think our biggest issue is, well, the Republicans and let me help you. Jesus did not come to get a governor who's Republican in office or a president who's Republican in office. Jesus came to establish an eternal kingdom that is so much bigger and so much better than what we think we need. And if we could simply trust him in that, we would be so much better off. So how do we live this way in the world we live in today? It's by understanding that we are not citizens of this world, that I'm a heavenly citizen. That, that yes, I want our world to do good. Because understand, Scripture makes it clear. We have a mandate in Scripture to make our world better. And I want you to make your world better. I want you to vote. I want you to treat people well. I want you to actively make your communities better. Uh, let me take it a step further. I would love for some of you who love Jesus to run for public office. Run for school board. Run for borough council. Run for, for higher offices. I would love that. And I will vote for you. I'm not putting a sign in my yard, but I'm going to vote for you. <laughs> Why? Because we need to make our world better. But I also understand that Jesus didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom. So I have to be eternally focused as well as focused on what God's doing here. It can't just be about what's happening here. And if I can understand that, it makes it easier for me to respect the king. And it makes it easier for me to, to submit to earthly authority. Verse eight, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you'll fulfill God's requirement in the law. For the commandment says you must com uh, not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrongs to others, so love fulfills the requirements of the law. He's summarizing what Jesus said when he was asked what was the greatest commandment. And he said, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And this is the second commandment, just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So he summarizes it here. What he's saying is, if you love God really, really well, you won't sin against God. If you love your neighbor really, really well, you won't sin against your neighbor. See, if I love my wife really, really well, I'm not gonna sin against my wife. I don't have to worry about adultery if I'm loving my wife the way God is mandating me to love my wife. That, that's an afterthought. I don't have to worry about it if I'm loving my wife sacrificially. If I'm loving God the way I should love God, I don't have to worry about having false gods. See, all the commandments fall into place if I order my affections correctly. And that's what we're called to do. Love the right things really, really well and be careful about loving the wrong things too much. He goes on to say in verse 11, this is all the more urgent. This is even more important for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. He's talking about the, the return of Christ. And um, if you grew up in church, maybe you grew up like I did. There was, there was I was always afraid of Jesus coming back when I was a kid. Does anybody remember there was a series of movies called The Thief in the Night? There was The Thief in the Night, The Distant Thunder. There was a couple others, I don't remember those. But the church, the little church I grew up in, we would watch those sometimes. And I think my pastor would just put them on if he forgot to like prepare a message for Sunday night service. We would just watch a movie. Um, but we would watch this movie and there was a scene in the movie and it was made in the 70s. And so everybody has like pork chop sideburns and like big funky mustaches and they're all wearing bell bottoms. And it was like, you know, like that was the kind of music. <laughs> So it was all really high quality production. Anyway, there was a scene in the movie where this girl and her husband are talking and she's like, Jerry, are you there? And he's like shaving in the other room and you hear the razor going, Jerry, Jerry. And she turns the corner and the razor's sitting in the sink. It's still running, but it's just sitting there. And it, the implication is Jerry's been raptured and all of a sudden it's like, no. And that always freaked me out. Cause I was like, I don't even shave, but that's scary to me, <laughs> right? So I lived with this tension, this fear of Jesus' return. It could happen any minute. I'm scared to death. 
And then on the other end of the spectrum, we've got people who are like, oh yeah, I mean, technically I believe in that, but if you're honest, you'd be like, I don't even believe that's really gonna happen. And, and let me be clear, both of those extremes are ungodly and unhealthy. So what we need to do when we think about the return of Christ is we need to live with this tension that says, I wanna live with an urgency on a daily basis that Christ could come back at any time. And that urgency is gonna drive me to love people better. It's gonna drive me to serve people better. It's gonna drive me to share my faith with people because they might not get another chance. But I'm also gonna live as if Jesus may never come back. So I'm gonna plan and dream and work as if I've got a long future and as if the church has a long future. And so we're gonna work and plan that way. And we're gonna be prepared if he comes at any moment. We have to live with this tension in our lives. What he says here though is remove the dark deeds like dirty clothes. To be prepared for Christ's return, we remove these dark deeds, this wickedness in our lives. We take it off like dirty clothes. So if I'm working out in the yard or I'm working on my car and I get oil on me, something like that, I'm like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to get this anywhere else. I don't go to my bedroom and change. I go straight into the basement. I go down to the basement to the laundry room and I'll start taking off the dirty clothes because I don't want that dirty clothes to make anything else dirty. I don't want to get anything else sullied by what I've been in. And what's happened for many people is we live in this culture, we've adapted to this world, we've acclimated to it where we, there's no discernible difference and we are covered in this world. And then we wonder why our houses are unhealthy, why our families are unhealthy, because we're rubbing up against everything. We're getting everything dirty because we are covered in these dirty clothes. And what we need to understand and what Paul says is, hey, we strip these off we take them off just like we take off dirty clothes. We step away from these. We put them down to make sure they're not infecting anything else around them. We, we strip off these deeds. And then he goes on to say, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, immoral living or quarreling and jealousy. I love how he throws in quarreling and jealousy along with all the other like big sins. So he says, we live differently. We don't live like the world lives. The world will see a difference in us when we live this way. And then he said this, instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. So we strip off these evil deeds. We strip off the way of thinking that's been influenced by our culture, that's been influenced by the world we live in that we should be different than these things, but we're not. So we strip it off and in its place, it says we clothe ourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this because the implication for the word that's used here for clothe is um, it's in the Greek, it's to sink into. So we are, we don't just put on the presence of Jesus like, okay, I'll put this on today and I'll wear this for a while. But, but a better way of thinking about it would be that we are enveloped by the presence of Jesus, that we sink into it and he wraps us up and we carry that with us wherever we go. And that's what God wants for you. He, he wants you to walk in his presence all the time. Not just occasionally when we come to church. He, he wants you to carry his presence with you when you go to the office or to school or practice, or wherever you might go. And when we do that, that's how we can honor earthly authority. That's how people who have wronged us and hurt us and taken advantage of us, we can say, hey, I'm not, I'm not gonna allow them back into a place to hurt me again, but I'm still going to honor them. I'm still gonna show them respect. People who have different ideologies than we do, we can say, hey, you know what? We can still have political conversations, but we refuse to let it divulge into a screaming match. We're gonna be honorable in the way we engage in political conversations. We're gonna be respectful in how we talk. How do we do that? We sink into the presence of Jesus Christ in our regular everyday life. And the world will see it and the world will marvel that we are different than the world is. If you live your life this way, you won't have to beat the people in your life over the head with a Bible to tell them about Jesus and tell them. They will wanna know what is going on with you. 
that you seem to be at so much peace, that your life seems to be different. And you'll be able to say, it's Jesus Christ. It's the presence of God in my life. What a, a beautiful way to live in a world full of so much conflict. That's what God is inviting you into today. Hey, right now I'm gonna turn it over to Blairsville. They're gonna close out our time. They're gonna give you a chance to respond. I love you guys so very much. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you and have a wonderful day. So today, obviously, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, and if you look at it in context, you know, we didn't talk about politics and then love. Paul was talking to the church about all these things together. How do we respond to people who have hurt us? How do we respond to government authorities that we don't like? And the answer is love. We love sacrificially. We put others above ourselves. We submit when we don't feel like it. And we trust God. And that's my invitation to you today, because maybe you recognize as we've been talking today that you've struggled in your heart being in submission to earthly governing authorities. And I get it. I've told people over the last couple days um, after services, I've never preached a sermon for you guys where I'm like, ooh, I'm going to get them good with this one. Never, ever. Every time I've ever preached, it's for me. God's showing me something, and I'm sharing it with you, and hopefully you'll get something out of it as well. This sermon today is for me. This sermon today is about my heart being submitted to, to governing authorities in different ways and different levels, that my heart is rebellious, that my heart needs to be tamed by the Holy Spirit. And I want to invite you to do the same thing because maybe you've been convicted and you've realized, you know what, I haven't said anything, I haven't posted anything, I haven't been a jerk to anybody, but maybe you know in your heart, man, your heart is all wrong. And it's not about correcting your behavior, it's about letting God correct our hearts, bring into alignment with him. And truly the only way we can do that is if our hearts are submitted to Christ. See, I can't submit to governing authorities if my heart's not submitted to Christ. And if I'm submitted to Christ, then my, heart's, my heart will begin to be submitted to earthly authority. He's gonna help me learn how to do that better. So I wanna give you that chance. I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing in this place today. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all this place. God, we honor you today. We're so grateful for your goodness. Thank you, God. <laughs> Thank you, God, that you, you invite us into hard things. God, you expect more of us than just attending church once in a while and being nice. God, you, you're after transformation in us. So God, I pray that I would not hold back what you really want. So God, I pray that I would be fully submitted to you, that my heart would be transformed in every way it needs to be transformed. That God, if there are attitudes and, and thoughts and maybe even behaviors, that don't bring glory to you in regards to authority you've placed in my life, God, I pray that my heart would be corrected. That God, you do what you need to do to change me and transform me into your image. God, I repent of the times that I've had arguments with people about things that were important but didn't have eternal value. And those arguments turned into me just wanting to be right. And maybe, maybe I was right, but I wasn't righteous. So God, I, I repent of that. God, I pray that each of us in this place, our hearts would be open, our hearts would be soft and ready to respond to whatever it is you wanna to speak to us today. And God, more than any of that, I pray that our hearts would be receptive to you, to your Holy Spirit, that, that God, we would submit ourselves to you, that we would receive the work that Christ did on the cross and that we would become sons and daughters. That as we're submitted to you fully, God, our hearts would be able to submit to the other authority that you've placed in our lives. So God, I pray that this would be a moment of salvation, a moment of reconciliation for people in this room. So God, have your way with us for these next few moments. Now with nobody looking around, if you're here today and you recognize the fact that maybe your heart has not been in submission, not just to earthly authority, but to God. You, you realize that you've been doing your own thing, living your own life by your own rules, and you recognize today there's a better way. There's a God who loves me. I wanna experience his love. I wanna experience his goodness. I wanna experience what it means to be adopted into the family as a son or daughter. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna make you come forward. I just wanna pray for you. And if that's you and you wanna be included in that prayer, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it all over this room? Say, the Mel, that's me. Yeah, thank you. 
I see you. Yeah, thank you. Two hands in the back. I see you. Yeah, thank you in the center section. Who else? Just a few more seconds. Who would say, Mel, that's me. Include me in that prayer. Yeah, I see you up in the balcony. Praise God. You can put your hand down, man. Awesome. Yeah, I see you in the back. Thanks, sir. Praise the Lord. God working us today, ministering us today. Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so I wanna pray a prayer with you. Everybody in this place is gonna repeat this prayer out loud, whether you raise your hand or not. And we're gonna say this prayer out loud with our mouth. We're gonna confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we're gonna believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. So you're not just gonna say some words mindlessly, you're gonna pray it from your heart. So I want every person in this place to pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and for sending Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life is yours. Use me for your glory. Forgive me of my sins and help me to live a life that points people to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, scripture says you're a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. And I'd love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So if you did pray that today, um, take just a second and you can either fill out the card in the seat back in front of you and take it to the info center when we finish, or you can simply text Summit PA to 94000. And when you do that, we're gonna respond back to you. And for those of you that are watching online, if you made that decision today, if you prayed that prayer with us, I'm proud of you, I'm excited for you, and we wanna help you as well. So you can just text Summit PA to 94000. We're gonna respond back to you and help you take the next step. Um, here's what's gonna happen right now. These guys are gonna lead us in one final song. As we're singing this last song, I wanna encourage you. Um, if you need prayer for any reason at all, no matter what it may be, some of our prayer team's gonna be here at the front of this room and we'd be honored to pray with you about any needs you may have in your life. So maybe it has something to do with the message we preach today. Um, maybe you need a physical healing. Our God is still healing people today. I believe in healing. Uh, so let us pray with you. Maybe you're here and you need a financial miracle. Maybe you're here today and, and you like to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We'd love to pray with you about any of these things. So please take advantage of that. And then as we're dismissed in just a moment, our team is gonna be available as well. So you can make your way forward either during this last song or when we're dismissed. So stand to your feet all over the room. We're gonna worship together one more time before we go today, guys. You hear me say it all the time. I hope you know I actually mean it, but I do. I love you more than you know. And I am so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have an awesome week. <laughs>